Good morning, everyone. It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. And if you are a guest with us this morning, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for being here. And my hope for you, whether you are a guest with us here in person, online, or if you are here all the time with us hanging out, you know my hope and my prayers that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, I really hope and pray that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. Amen. And, uh, you know, happy Father's Day to you uh, dads out there. And um, I just, you know, it's funny as the day comes up as a dad, I have recognized many times, I've said this to other dads that I know that um, parenting, I feel like is God's primary way of sanctification in my life. And if you are newer to church and don't know what that means, it means this is an area that I struggle with more than anywhere else in my life to figure out how to look like Jesus is in parenting. And so it is hard. So for those of you who have... Uh, contributed so much into each other's lives. You know, men who have invested in me have changed my life. I'm grateful for the, the many men in my life, especially my dad, who he's here today, which is kind of cool. And um, so dad, thanks. Um, thanks a lot. And thanks for always making sure that you weren't just investing in me, but you had me around a ton of other godly men who invested in me that I could point to that have shaped me. And so what a gift that is. Um, so happy Father's Day. And, and just like Pastor Will was saying during our uh, time of worshiping the Lord through song. I know this is a day that's tough for some, and there are times uh, some of you, the relationships are tough with dad or dads have been lost, um, and, and there's just some tension there. I do pray that you would continue to look to the, uh, some of the men who are around who have invested in you, that you may be able to celebrate them and, and just thank them for their influence in your life, and to be, if you're a man, that type of man who's investing in other people. Uh, this is what God's called us to, amen? So, um, today we are continuing our new summer series calls, called One Size Fits None. And I know that's a, a different kind of idea for many of us, but the series is all about how the idea of a one-size-fits-all spirituality does not work when it comes to how can I connect to God and worship Him better um, if we're all created in the image of God and we're all created so differently just look at how different we all are. If we're all created differently, why is it that we expect that we're all going to connect to God the same exact way? We have to spend some time as a church, and where our hope is over this, uh, the first couple of uh, months of summer, is to look at different ways that we are created and hopefully learn how we can connect to God in a bunch of different ways. But if we're going to connect to God in different ways, we kind of have to figure out who are we. Who am I and how did God make me? So throughout this series, we will kind of occasionally be pointing back to the prayer that's been being prayed for 1,500 years by St. Augustine when he prayed that great prayer, grant, Lord, that I might know myself, that I may know thee. Right, Lord, help me figure out who I am and who you've created me to be so that I can understand who you are even more and know you better. And I left some of you with some homework if you were with us last week to, hey, go, go take this like, you know, little pathways uh, survey online and it'll give you a couple of different answers. And many of you did this. It was great to figure out how am I naturally connecting to God and how do I hear from him and worship him? And if you missed it, uh, here's the QR code. You can literally, I'd encourage you, if you did not get a chance to do this, go ahead, pull it out, scan it right now. I'm totally cool with that. Um, if you're online, it is on the front page of our website, crossbridgecc org and you can journey to it right there and it's it's right there but many of you you took it and you sent me texts of your results and you're like i did it it's like great and you're like what's it mean 
And I was like, ah, that's completely fair. Um, you know, I, I, I love the type, like, what's it mean? I got like high scores, I think in some areas, but did I fail in some of these other areas? Did I do something wrong? And listen, it, like any assessment, here's what I want to tell you. This is a picture of where you are at any given time in your life. When I started preparing for this series, uh, I, I mean, I was thinking through all of this, reading through this Sacred Pathways book that we're talking about, and as I looked through my original copy, I had filled out all the little assessment stuff that we have online, they just have in the book, and I realized my scores were so different then than they were now. Does that mean I failed at something then? No, it just means I've changed. We all change, amen? You change, I change. That's the way life is. But I also knew that when I took this a couple months ago, Verse when I took it again this week, my numbers changed again. Did I change that much? No, it could have been the difference of taking it while I was sitting in my living room and taking it sitting at a bench outside. Like that would have been enough to influence me. So if you put a ton of stock in this saying, this is, this is exactly who I am, relax. You didn't fail anything. You can't fail this. Well, I guess you can. If you lie in everything, then you have failed yourself. But hey, that's on you. That's on you. Um, again, if you want to dive deeper, I would encourage you, grab this book. It's the Sacred Pathways book by Gary Thomas. So much of what we're talking about comes right from here. So um, it, it's just excellent. But in there, we didn't talk about it last week, and I wanted to. Let me give you a quick overview of where we're going to go for the rest of this series so that you know, and you can kind of plan ahead, and you're like, okay, what are we doing? Next week, we are going to look at the pathway of the caregiver. This is loving God by loving others, and this is a, a, a pathway. If you scored on this one a little bit higher, this is expressing your love for God through acts of service, through nurturing and caring for others. Makes sense with the name, right? People wired this way their souls are going to be filled when they get to show up for people and they take care of the needs that are present right in front of them. They love to be able to do this. Then we're going to look at the aesthetics and the contemplatives. These are two separate categories, but we're going to put them together for um, a week because this is loving God through solitude, simplicity, through adoration, and they are usually separate, but we put them together because they usually complement each other pretty well in a lot of ways, and they go hand in hand. And these are more individualistic by nature, okay? They, they kind of both hinge on this idea of solitude, being alone. Um, if you fall into that aesthetic camp and that was there, you lean more towards simplicity. You like self-discipline to just like, that helps you draw close to God if you're a contemplative. Uh, this is people who like to be alone, but you just like to think the deep thoughts, right? You love to ponder, you love to process and reflect on the nature of God and his presence. Then we're going to be moving into the sensates, and this is great. The sensates is loving God with all five of your sentences, senses, not sentences. Um, so if you have those five senses that you've learned when you were in kindergarten, these are experiencing God in all of these different ways. So you encounter God through beauty, through art, through music, food, anything that your senses can come alive with, you experience God that way. That's a sensate. Then we'll move into the enthusiasts. And the enthusiasts, I love the little party celebration uh, logo we have here, is these are people who they love God with mystery and celebration. If you find yourself as an enthusiast, you will be um, looking for engaging worship. You're going to be looking for emotional expressions of faith when it really kind of gets you going. You know what I'm saying? Um, anything that's vibral, vibrant and joyful, 
you'll find our enthusiasts there. And while contemplatives would look more for like silence and solitude, your enthusiasts are going to look for loud and community. They want to celebrate God, but they want to do it with lots of people um, because that's where the energy gets built. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Okay. All right. Then we're going to move into some that uh, this was uh, unique to see who scored high or low on this one, but a traditionalist. And a traditionalist is loving God through ritual and symbol. Now, those who fall into loving God this way, they connect with God through tradition. It's very important through a system, through religious practices that are established and routine. Their souls are filled when reverence is attached to these patterns and their customs, and they can see God through this ritual and tradition. It's just a beautiful way to connect to God that um, I know that for some it's like, we're in a gym. Does that even work? Yes, actually, it's, it's beautiful because it's a way that we connect to God, not always where, but we'll talk about that. Then we have our activists. Our activists, that bullhorn is so good. These are people who love God through confrontation. And if you think, oh, that's my spiritual gift, I yell at everybody. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about, okay? So loving God through confrontation is not picking fights. Activists are actually driven by a passion for social justice, a passion for service, and standing up and being a voice for those who don't have one, to represent those who have no representation. Their connection to God comes alive when they are working towards positive change in our world to see God's kingdom come. And those acts of compassion and activism just fuel them. It does not mean you yell at people. That's not the sole purpose here. Then we will close out our series with the intellectuals. The intellectuals. This is loving God with the mind. And this is a focus for those who connect to God this way on deeper understanding of God through study. They love their commentaries. They love being able to do those deep dives on um, you know, studying uh, these words or reasoning in their head. They love intellectual exploration, engaging with theological concepts that most people are like, I don't want to talk about those things. It makes my brain hurt. And they're like, oh, I love when that happens. That's your intellectuals. If you bring up philosophy, they're going to get all sorts of excited. And it's like, but you won't end anywhere in this conversation. It doesn't have to have an ending. It's just a study deeper of who God is and good conversation that way. That's what's going to fuel them. But today, we're going to start with one that I kind of connect with because I thought it would be really fun to start that way. And we're going to be looking at the naturalists. The naturalists. This is loving God outdoors. And so we're going to get into what this looks like in a minute because it's, to me, a lot of fun. But here's the goal in looking at all of those is to recognize that since each one of us are created differently, when you take this assessment, it gives you an idea of where you are right now. If you find that you're wrestling with connecting to God, how do you lean in to some of the areas where you connect naturally to God so that you can experience his love, so that you can experience not just his love for you, so that it would be poured out to those who are around you? And most of these pathways that we look at, they overlap. So if, if you're thinking, well, do I go this way or this way? Most of the time they're combined. They move together in a lot of different ways, but you'll move in and out of them. The ones that are really low, and we think, I, I can't understand how anyone would connect to God through confrontation. Like, I do nothing but run from confrontation. And there are times you're thinking, I, I don't want to connect to God that way. It doesn't make sense. These are the areas we talked about last week. I need you to look towards a little bit because we need to be careful not to ignore 
a full rounded relationship with Jesus where we can be shaped. Because if we ignore the areas that we don't naturally gravitate to, two things could very quickly happen. The first is we don't understand the people around us who connect to God that way, that they're fueled. And we will see that our, or at least think that our version of spirituality and what works for us to connect to God, they're not doing that. Therefore, they may not be spiritual. And so we need to avoid making sure that we can judge others. So we have to understand how other people connect to God. And, and secondly, if we don't pay attention to these areas, we could really mess things up good. For example, if someone who is an intellectual only focuses on study and does not think about the senses and emotions and things that are the internal, all of a sudden you continue to never process any information or any feelings that you have in life. You just are constantly thinking, and then, you know, when that little thing happens and it sets you off and you explode on someone, then there's this possibility of us stopping and saying, see, this is why emotions are bad, because we've never turned to pay attention to it. Or if our whole life is driven by emotions, and we say, but I can't think about these hard things because I won't like the answer, and I can't do We have to stretch ourselves a little bit because Christ is in and works through all of these things. So we are desiring to be conformed to his image by the, for the sake of others. Remember, this is our definition of spiritual formation from Robert Mulholland in his book, Invitation to a Journey. Spiritual formation simply is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So let's, let's jump into the naturalist. How does a naturalist connect to God? I told you this is a high one for me, and that's kind of why I want to start there, because I was really excited about it. It probably won't come as a surprise to you that uh, I've written most of this message while I was um, outside, because it was kind of fun. This pathway, as you can guess, is probably uh, pretty easy. It's connecting God to God through nature. Connecting to God through nature. You find your fulfillment, and you find awe as you look at his creation in the world. You see his handiwork in everything that is around you, and it's just this. Things come alive when you go outside. Sometimes it's really easy to forget that when we look at the whole of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, how much of this happens outside? Here we are sitting in like sanitized living rooms or offices um, or wherever it is that you can sneak away to read. And usually we're inside and all of these outside images are being used. And it's like we forget that as we stare at a picture of trees on our wall. But there are trees literally right on the other side of that wall. In the Old Testament, I mean, when you think about it, there are so many places where nature comes into and creation comes into this massive influence of someone's life start at creation. That's an easy one, right? How did Adam and Eve connect to God? What was through nature? It's all they had, kind of a given, right? This is where they are. But look throughout, where does God meet people? When Hagar is pushed out by Sarah, because Sarah's jealous of her, she goes into the wilderness, and when she retreats, she's hiding under a bush, and that is where God meets her. And the first person to give God a name is Hagar in the wilderness. Isn't that beautiful? Then we see Moses, where after he's in Egypt, he, he comes out of Egypt into the desert, and he meets God where? At a burning bush. 
He meets God at a burning bush. God uses creation to draw his attention, to speak to him. And then, you know, Moses ends up going back into Egypt and God uses, again, these acts of creation, these miracles and uh, these, these massive plagues that come through. These are all creation that are, are giving Egypt a demonstration of God's power, who he is. And he displays his majesty through all of this. He keeps meeting with Moses or the future prophets. He meets with so many different people on mountaintops constantly. He's giving them instruction. Retreat to the mountain. I'll give you instruction. He says, go sleep by this stream or sit by this stream. I will teach you. Go lay outside and look up at the stars. Get into that cave and I'll tell you what you need to know. So many of the prophecies and the passages that we read in the Old Testament, especially when you read the book of Psalms, are filled with images of nature. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just think about the psalm that Ruby had read for us from King David. In Psalm 19, what she read for us, just the first four verses are, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a word or sound. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. Do you think King David wrote this sitting on his throne or laying in bed? What do you think? I don't think so. I imagine him either on a rooftop staring up at the skies or as a shepherd lying literally out in the fields as he's looking up at the moon and the stars and he sees them and he's embracing God's majesty just by what he's created, saying, man, this is so much. Who am I? But we see it in the New Testament, too. We see all the time that Jesus is wandering around in the desert. He's wandering on the seashores. He is outside constantly. At his baptism, he, he's baptized in the Jordan River, which if you've ever seen it, is like nasty. It's like, this is how you're going to experience God? Yes. And then right after he's baptized, what do we see Jesus do? It says that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. It led him into the wilderness, a place where it's away from people, away from busy to be with God. The Spirit led him into that place. If you read his teachings over and over and over, he is pointing out roots. He's pointing out trees. He's pointing out birds. He's pointing out scorpions. He's talking about seeds. He's talking about flowers, or he's looking at mountains. And, and he sees, it it's almost feels like, if you're really reading it, everywhere that he's sitting, he's just like, you know, the kingdom of heaven's like a basketball net, because that's what I see. And he can look at creation and teach the people who are around him, right where they are, to understand this is what God's doing. When he needs to get away by himself, he almost always does what Moses did. He goes to a mountaintop by himself to pray. He retreats away to get a bigger picture of who God is. With his disciples, we talked last week about how the last week of his life, he made a routine of retreating to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives, because he needed a place to understand and rejuvenate his soul, understand what God wanted for him so he had his Gethsemane. And that's why we have to find a place where we can worship regularly, and for the naturalist, that will be outside. Because this is true. Where we worship can have a major impact on the quality of our worship. 
Where we worship can have a major impact on the quality of our worship. The environment that we are in is important. And for the naturalist, if they are outside, it increases the quality of their worship. It helps them to connect to God. And, and it helps them connect in three different ways. And I think this is so awesome. And I want to look at them each individually. But the three ways it helps them connect, if you were not a naturalist, pay attention to these. These are important. It helps them, number one, visualize scriptural truths. Right? Number two, it helps them to see God more clearly. And number three, it le- helps them learn to rest. It helps them learn to rest. Let's look at that first one together. The visualize scriptural truths. And before we jump in, how many of you took this uh, assessment and you, naturalist was somewhere up there for you? This may help those around you. Oh, cool. Excellent. For those of you who are naturalists that you see that around you, I feel you. I would say, let's go take a hike, but I don't want to be with you in the woods all the time. Um, <laughs> um, being outside for a naturalist is going to help them visualize spiritual truths. It's really easy to forget the natural beauty that is in Scripture and all of the little details that we read from these inspired authors who are looking at things. Uh, I, when I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount in my living room, it's no uh, surprise. This is three of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I read them very, very often because I just want to know what Jesus is saying. But I can tell you the times that it has been the most impactful in my life when I have read this. I read it regularly, but I can tell you the time that um, I was sitting on the top of Washington Rock in Wachong, New Jersey, up in North Jersey, overlooking all of uh, this, this, all of New Jersey from up there into, I could see New York City, but it's just this, if you find the right spot up there, it's quiet. It's very just by yourself. And I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount, out loud there over New Jersey. And I, like, I, can, I can remember that. I remember when I had graduated high school, I was on a trip in Scotland, and I was in Edinburgh, Scotland. And it's really weird, but there is this little mountain called Arthur's Seat. And the youth group that I was with on this mission trip, we all decided on our day off we were going to hike Arthur's Seat. We hiked up to the top, and they're like... <gasps> what are we going to do? And I was like, let's read the Sermon on the Mount. And we took turns sitting on Arthur's seat, reading passage to passage to each other, proclaiming it over this area. And it was so different than it was at Washington Rock because I heard it while I wasn't trying to read it, but I could see what they were talking about in the nature around me. I, I remember when I was in Israel, sitting on the very hillside, looking at the Sea of Galilee and the trees that Jesus likely looked at as he preached this for the first time. And I was overwhelmed when I thought, he said this here, as he looked at grass, as he looked at fields, as he looked at mountains, and all of that verbiage is in his teaching. But it's easy just to see it as a, it's just a passing illustration, but it's not He's declaring the goodness of God in creation, and he's visualizing scripture. It helps me when I'm out to see that. It came alive for me. Each of those times, what I know is I wasn't in a rush. I had nowhere to get to, so I was able to pause in nature. Um, I, I didn't have to move on to what's next, so I was able to pay attention, to appreciate where I was, who I was with. It really mattered. In Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas says this. He says, God will speak to us through creation if we will only listen. If you find your time in front of books or listening to sermons has become stagnant, grab a coat, pick up a walking stick, and step outside into a school that never closes. Isn't that good? 
into a school that never closes. When I started here at Crossbridge, there was a family who um, they graciously let me use their lake house for a silent retreat. And I realized I needed to get away just to spend some time with God, figure out where, how I was going to lead, what I was going to do. And they, they let me stay at their house. It was the fall, so there wasn't really anybody there. It was kind of closed down, and the leaves were still in that changing moment. And I sat on the dock of this lake, and I watched the leaves. I felt the cold, crisp breeze. And I started to read about Jesus walking on the shore to find his disciples, right? And I thought, well, let me walk the beach. And so at first I took my shoes off, and then I'm like, nope, that's freezing. (sighs) And I started to walk the shore, and I started to see the rocks. And I looked at the rocks, and I'm like, man, these are all different colors. This is really cool. And then as I started seeing the different colors, I started looking for the little skipping rocks, you know, when you find those really good ones that you're like, oh, that's a skipper right there. And I could pick it up and I'd be skipping rocks and I would just kind of be walking and now you're thinking like, that's doing something. How are you going to connect to God by skipping rocks? I didn't. Until the Lord pointed out two rocks that were next to each other for some reason. And I say pointed out, like I just looked at them and I couldn't stop looking at them. And I thought, that's weird. That's really weird. It grabbed my heart. It grabbed my eyes. And it just looked like this. And he was like, that's weird. So I took a picture of it. And I just, I sat there. I didn't move. I didn't go to the next thing. I didn't try to find a new stone. I didn't try to skip something else. I just paused. And I asked God, why are these unique in this moment? What is it about this that you're making me stop? And I felt, not in an audible way, that God was speaking to me. And he impressed on me, Jimmy. This is how I want your life to be. It's just like these rocks. And it took me a minute. I was like, the hard? (laughs) And I noticed how they were broken, even though they looked whole. And I touched one, and I just kind of pushed it real quick and realized it was a whole rock, and yet it was broken. And I sat there, and God, I felt like, invited me through nature was speaking and visualizing scripture that I knew that he wanted me to live a life that's transparent, a life that is broken. But he invited me to say, Jimmy, I I want your brokenness to be exposed as a pastor, not to be hidden. This is one of the reasons some of you are like, man, there's a lot going on in his life that's a little awkward. You could thank the rocks that God had placed in that moment because I knew this is what God had wanted for me, that that if our church was going to be a church that would receive love, forgiveness, and the rest of restoration of Jesus, it wasn't going to just be through my teaching. It had to be through my life. This is who I had to be. And God spoke that to me. Now, did I know those things before? Sure. Did I desire those things before? Absolutely. Did I understand them because of these rocks? Yes, I absolutely did. And some of you, that might be really weird. And you're thinking, that's odd. That's fine. But what I know is that I have been spoken to so many times. I think of Matthew 10.30 where I've pulled leaves off of trees to stare at the veins of a leaf. Have you ever done that before? Like just stared at them. Like really not just like, oh, that's cool. Like stared at those veins or whatever they're called. I don't even know. Like I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm a naturalist, you know. But I looked at them and I remembered at times like God's like, man, I know all those veins just like I know the amount of hairs on your head. As retreating as they are, it doesn't matter. I know them. I know you. How did I get that? 
It was a leaf? Really? Yes, it helps me visualize Scripture. Creation has this way of helping me and helping other naturalists to visualize Scripture, which means we have to have Scripture written on our hearts. We have to understand it and know it, but it also helps the naturalists, not just by visualizing Scripture, but helping them to see God more clearly. Okay, it helps them to see God more clearly, and just not the beauty of God is revealed. We always talk about this like, wow, look how beautiful, look how beautiful, but I have seen the power, the magnitude, and the fear of God has been brought on to me and other naturalists through nature. Um, I think of the stories where uh, Jesus is telling his disciples, we need to go to the other side of the lake. And as they get into the boat to, with these seasoned fishermen, they all start to travel across the lake to the region of uh, the, Gethsem- or the um, Galilean region. And as they cross the lake, uh, this storm comes up, this, this massive squall on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples, if you remember this story, what do they do? They freak out. That is the uh, new Crossbridge translation, if you read it. And you're like, let's just say they were scared. No, no, no. They freak out. That is exactly what they do. They panic. They go nuts. They're, they're oh my gosh, we're going to die. We're going to die. And Jesus stops and he's like, they wake him up from a nap. And, and they were terrified. And then he comes with his words. And they're terrified again of Jesus because they think, oh, who is this man that could even control nature? And you see, they understood the power of God because of his ability to stop that storm because they knew the power of that storm. It taught them something. Have you ever been in a literal, natural storm that took your breath away before? Right? Maybe, maybe not in a boat like the disciples, but that shook you to your core. This week we had a couple storms run through that were pretty, pretty wicked, weren't they? They were amazing. I know some people were terrified, and I'm like, can I go run outside? I, I just, I want to sit outside in this rain. You know, I, I grew up not in a very, like, natural area. It wasn't like we had, uh, you know, the farms that are down here and anything like that. But every summer, we would travel down to my uh, grandma and pop's house down in Alabama. And it was a house that was on Lake Martin. And as a kid, we would go and we would play on this lake endlessly, play in the lake endlessly. And then there were times that storms would roll up that were different than New Jersey storms. I don't know what it was or if it just felt that way at the time, but these storms would roll up and they'd roll up fast where we would have to run out of the lake, climb up the stairs, get into the house that had this beautiful back screened in area where you were still outside and you were protected from all the bugs that were outside. But the wind and the rain couldn't quite get you, but you could see over the lake. And I remember as these things rolled through, lightning flashing and lighting up Alabama. I remember lightning hitting the lake and hearing the cracks and the pops. I remember being scared and trying to cuddle up next to any adult who was present next to me because it was kind of scary. I I remember the thunder as it hit would shake the chairs in that room. The wind would howl as it was trying to, it felt like ripped screens, and and still it was so strong that the rain would go through and hit those little spots, and if you were close enough to a screen, it would sting because it was that strong, and, and you would feel it in those moments. I have trouble remembering what I had for lunch on Friday, but I can remember the details of that. Why? Because I was overwhelmed and I felt insignificant. I felt my size. This was bigger than who I was, and I understood there's something much more powerful than me. 
Did I understand and see the majesty of God in that moment? No, but I grew to learn that's what it was, and I believe the Lord didn't let me lose that because he was speaking to me in it. A couple of years ago, I got the privilege with a guy from our church here, Brian. He invited me to go out to Colorado to play golf, and I'm like, yeah, that'll be great, having no idea that we would be like playing disc golf and ball golf and traveling all over Colorado. And I'm like, I've only been to Colorado Springs, but we took a tour of Colorado. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But when we landed, he kind of was like, Jimmy, what are you doing? And I'm like, we need to stop by a stream somewhere. And we're going through the mountains. And he's like, why stop by a stream? I'm like, because I want to put my feet in it. And he's like, that's weird. And I'm like, I know, I know. Every time I travel somewhere, I like to take my shoes off and my socks off. And I put myself into sand or into the streams or onto the grass of wherever I'm at. And I feel like I connect to this place now. I can get into all the science of why that's really beneficial. Spend 20 minutes outside without your shoes and socks. It's a huge benefit to your health and psychology and mental health. But I did. And, I, and, and he's looking at me, and I have pictures of us like laughing as my feet are in the stream. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm enjoying God. Then in the, we parked the RV, and he would go off early in the morning to go do whatever he does because I'm not going to wake up that time on vacation. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But we parked in a place where there was Adirondack chairs that were set out. And I would sit myself in the Adirondack chair and I would listen to the roaring forked river as it went right by in front and I'd listen. And then I would read scripture and I was reading through the Psalms at the time and, and I was staring up at the west point of Mount Sopris. And this was what I saw every morning I woke up. And I sat in a chair, and I opened up scripture, and I began to just continue reading and reading and reading and, and reading, and I remember the moment I stopped at a psalm that I've read quite often in Psalm 121. And King David writes, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will never slumber and never sleep. Let me tell you, I knew these verses. I've read them a hundred times. I've prayed them a hundred times. But I understood and I saw God more clearly in that moment that I knew that he was my source of hope. He was my source of help. He is never sleeping. He will always protect me, even when I don't see it. And as beautiful and as overwhelming as Mount Sopris was as I stared up to it, I knew that's nothing in comparison to my God. Oh. Maybe that's why songs of creation kind of stand out to me. They connect to me. I think of the 19th century uh, Swedish poet and politician, Carl Boberg. He wrote, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And my soul comes alive, and I sing how great thou art. Because I've seen it, I know it, I understand it. Tradition has it. You know when he wrote this? He wrote this while he was sitting there and a storm came through his town and he was terrified and ran in to shut the windows so that he wouldn't die. And as soon as the storm passed, he got up just as quickly to rip open so that he could smell that right after thunderstorm smell. You know that ozone smell that's really cool? He did it so just so it would waft into his house. He knew, you see, Carl was a naturalist. 
It helped him see more God clearly. And the last thing this does for a naturalist, not just help to see God more clearly, but it helps them to learn to rest. This may surprise you, but most of us are not very good at resting. We're good at crashing and calling it rest, but that's not what that is. Jesus doesn't value crashing in our life. He values rest. In Mark 6, he valued this for himself. It said the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught, which was this massive thing that they had gone out to do. And Jesus said, that's great. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat, so they left by a boat for a quiet place and there they could be alone. We need rest and creation helps us as a naturalist to slow down and rest. I get that our schedules are busy, but Jesus had a regular pattern of retreating to rest, to get away from people and rejuvenate his soul, and he modeled it for his disciples. In my senior year of college, I was taking a class where I was, uh, it was a spiritual formation class, and we took a silent retreat, which, just so you know, 22-year-old Jimmy didn't understand the word silence at all. That's just not realistic, and I expected my mom and dad to amen that one. Um, I tell you, it was wild to me because we were going to go, and here's what they were going to do. We spent a night kind of in silent prayer, and then our spiritual director said, I'm going to put you in the woods, and I've prayed about a spot, and I'm going to give you certain boundaries that you can't leave this spot, and I'm going to leave you there for eight hours. And he said to me, Jimmy, you can't bring a Bible, you can't bring a journal, you can't bring a pen. And I was like, what can I bring? And he said, nothing. And he handed me an envelope, he said, only this. And it had one passage in it, one passage. And it was a psalm that he prayed and he felt like God said, I need you to learn this and just study it. I said, okay, I'll sit with it, I'll sit with it. And and I did. And I spent eight hours alone in the woods. But I couldn't do anything. And many of you know, I like working. So as a performance-driven person, I felt like if I just sit here for eight hours, this is going to be a waste. I need to do something with my time. The more I do, the more God will love me. So I'm going to make the best use of my time. And so now that all that's taken away, I just sat there by trees and I got to do something. I'm bored out of my mind. So I started by memorizing the psalm. It's something I could do. Memorizing things makes me tired. So I rested in the Lord. I took a nap. I don't know how long I napped. I didn't have a watch. I wasn't allowed one. I was stuck. I had no idea what I was doing. And so, you know what I did? I started to clean the house. I started to look at all the sticks that were surrounding. I started to gather all the sticks. And then I was like, oh, look at it. I could build something like this. This is like Legos. And so I started to build a little hut. And I thought, if it rains, I'll be covered. And this will be cool. And I started doing all these things. And then when my spiritual director came back, he looked and he's like, wow, look at your time. And I said, yeah, look how productive. And he's like, interesting. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you don't know how to rest. What do you mean? You have no idea how to slow down. Eight hours is not enough for you, Jimmy. If you really want to understand the rest that God has for you, you probably will need two, three, maybe even four days of this for real just by yourself. And I was like, that sounds like my personal definition of what hell looks like. If if I didn't know Jesus, that's where I'm going, is to a place where we do nothing. I will tell you, he was absolutely correct. And over the last 20 years, I've worked so hard to understand how to be alone and how to be um, just pausing in nature because now I will go into nature for long periods of time and be by myself and learn to pray. Um, I do absolutely take naps outside. 
Um, I have a special place in Delaware I go where I nap under the bushes because it meets me in this amazing spot after prayer that it, it's just right where I'm at. As a naturalist, let me tell you, creation becomes God's sanctuary for us. We celebrate out there. It's a holy place that invites us into prayer. And there's this underlying desire for all of us to seek this creator behind all creation. And if you're watching with us online and you're not in New Jersey, I'm sorry. Because if you live in New Jersey, let me tell you, you have everything that nature has to offer within like two hours outside of a desert. Washington, D.C. is kind of like a desert. Go for it. You could go anywhere you want. You want to hike? Pick a mountain. You want to go to the beach? Go ahead. You want to pick a lake? Do you want to go to uh, an Appalachian Trail? Do you want to go to fields? You, where you live right now, if you're in South Jersey, you could buy your produce, not at ShopRite. You could buy it from a farm stand where they grew it right next door. We are in the middle of everything creation has to offer right here. In the winter, you can go skiing. You could see seasons. Things change here. It's not the same. It's amazing. What a gift we have. But if you are a naturalist, there are two things I need to warn you about. And the first one is individualism. You need to be careful about individualism because Jesus absolutely retreated to creation alone to connect with God. But we need to be very careful not to use God's creation as an escape for our relationships with other people. We need other people in our life. We are called to love God and love people. And creation could become this great way of retreating away from everybody so we can use that as an escape from the things we don't want to deal with. We retreat all the time to connect with God. But remember, the end result of our spiritual formation is connecting with God for the sake of others. We are meant to be in community. And so if you find yourself retreating all the time, you need to be very careful that you're not celebrating your own individualism. You need to retreat. The other thing to watch for simply is idolizing nature. And in idolizing nature, this is easy for naturalists to slide right into this idea of pantheism. If you don't know what pantheism is, it's, it's simply the worship of nature. There's a huge difference between Psalm 24.1 where it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, versus saying the earth is the Lord. Right? The earth belongs to God and all things are created there, but it is not God. That tree that, that speaks or those rocks are not God. They reflect God, but they not, are not God. Does that make sense? I, I think that's why part of the earliest Christian hymn that Ruby read for us as we prepare for communion is from Colossians 1, where it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Creation is not God. It's a reflection of him and all his qualities. As a naturalist, if this is how you explore and experience God, would you prioritize taking a walk outside? Find a way that you can experience God outside in a way that, that works for you. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. For me, I find that on a golf course most of the time. I walk and I look at birds and I look at trees. That's why those are my two... Tattoos here is, the, is a nature thing. They, they remind me of who God is. That's the images I have around my house, is nature, because it speaks to me. But nothing 
we'll replace actually being outside and watching birds fly, seeing trees, experiencing storms. If you're a naturalist, how do you connect? How will you do that this week? If you are not, but you're next to someone who is, how can you help them and encourage them? Because they'll need this. I think there's a reason that Jesus said to his disciples when they were celebrating Passover, we will be in this garden constantly and you're gonna need to remember. He always says, I want you to remember, right? When he's sitting at dinner with them, he holds up the bread and he says, this was my body broken for you, right? He was giving them a visual that they would understand. And, and then when he held up the cup, he said, this is my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He was giving them a visual. But for the rest of their ministry, they go out and they're continuing to do what Jesus did, point him out in nature to all people and point out how Jesus was broken, how he told me that that's how my life should be looking through a rock. Yes. This is what he invites us to, but are we listening? As we celebrate communion, maybe God wants to speak to you through nature, but you're thinking, I don't like it outside. It's icky. It's buggy. It's inconvenient. Okay. Maybe sit in your garage and look out. Start there. It doesn't have to be, you know, what everybody else is doing, but he is speaking, and the question is, are you listening? Would you stand with me as we prepare to celebrate communion? At Crossbridge, we celebrate communion every week as part of our tradition and liturgy to understand that all things point back to Jesus at all times. Our entire service is geared and pointed towards him. And maybe... As we're walking through this, there are times that you need to just pause right now in a time of silence and say, God, maybe I've, I've missed you because I was in such a rush. Would you meet me and, and would you forgive me for just moving on instead of paying attention? And if that's where you are, I just want to give you a second to, to think, man, is there area, any area, God, that's off that I need to spend time in confession before I receive communion? Let me just give a space of quiet. Jesus, thank you for slowing down enough to be with the disciples forcing them to sit for a really long Seder dinner so that they would understand all your teachings and then taking them into a garden where it could be lived out in front of them so that they would understand where there are areas that we've missed you, Jesus, because we were in a rush or we weren't paying attention. Would you forgive us? At the same time, would you surprise us this week with how we experience you? and not try to take a picture of it on our phone or try to capture it some way that we'll remember it forever, but just let it, let it change who we are because we've heard from you. Jesus, as we celebrate today, as we eat and drink together, we remember a father who loves us deeply, who gave his only son to die for us. Praise you.
across anybody who has chosen to follow Jesus, we encourage them to come and to celebrate communion. And I would ask that at each of these tables, you would grab a cracker, break it, dip it, or grab one of our prepackaged ones and bring it back to your chair where you are. And when everyone has received communion, we will eat and drink together. Would you come? out the wonder of life. You speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born, in the vapor of your breath the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. See your heart and everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. The creation sings your praises so well. Amen. Jesus, we celebrate along with creation, how grateful we are for your redemption of all things and all things being restored to the way that you would desire. Part of taking communion is recognizing we're not there, but you, you bring us there. May we be conformed to your image, Jesus. Let us eat and drink together. Would you receive the benediction from Psalm 23? May the Lord be your shepherd. May you have all that you need. May he allow you to rest in green meadows. Would he lead you beside peaceful streams? Would he renew your strength? And would he guide you along the right paths, bringing honor to his name? And even when you walk through the darkest valleys, May you have no fear because you are close to him. May you understand that his rod and his staff, they protect you and they comfort you and that he prepares a feast for you in the presence of your enemies, that, that he will honor you by anointing your head with oil and your cup will overflow with blessing. And may together we say that surely, God, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue us all the days of our life. And we're going to live in your house forever as long as we are on this earth. Whew. May we see you. May you go and see Jesus in all things. Go in his grace. Amen.